Um, I also appreciate so much our guest speaker today, Tim Pauley. Uh, before he was involved in Capital Ministries, uh, he was actually the student pastor here at Faith Baptist Church for several years prior to Pastor Scott. And uh, now we have been privileged to support him and his work in Charleston for 15 years, I think. So, Tim, thanks for being with us. Come on up, share your work, share with us what God has laid on your heart. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Chris. Well, it certainly is a blessing to be with you all this morning. Uh, if you all do not know, uh, a lot of new faces, I work with a ministry called Capital uh, Commission, uh, and what our goal is, what our ministry is, is to serve and minister to the folks who serve in government. A lot of times I will start out my presentations at a church and I will ask, uh, what's the first thing that comes in your mind when you think of the term or the word politician? Okay, I don't know if I heard moans or groans or saw any eye rolls or not, I would like to challenge you today what our first thoughts about politicians ought to be. But the purpose of our ministry is, number one, uh, to share the good news of the gospel with our political leaders who do not know the Lord. And so that is our focus, is on Christ. Our focus is on the gospel. And so first and foremost, we want to present the gospel, the good news of salvation through Christ alone uh, to our leaders who serve in the, the, in the capital and around the state. The second thing that we want to do is to encourage and disciple and help grow uh, those who are believers serving in a very challenging and difficult environment. And it's only getting more so every day. So the folks that are believers, we want to be an encouragement and a challenge and, and to help them to grow. And we do that through Bible studies in the, in the state capital. And then the third thing that we want to do, and we'll cover that somewhat in our message, is encourage believers and churches to pray faithfully and specifically uh, for their leaders. And so that really is a focus of of what we want our ministry uh, to be. Just a little bit of a ministry report. Ministry-wise, it has been a difficult year, much as it has been for everyone. uh, With with the COVID uh, lockdowns and shutdowns, there was very limited access at our state capitol. So we did not have Bible studies during the uh, regular session. And then I had to have cancer surgery in the spring. And so that kind of set things back. But the surgery went well. Everything, uh, Lord is blessed, is, uh, is taken care of. So you might really pray for us as we kind of gear up trying to reboot uh, this fall and then leading into the uh, regular session that begins in February. I know a lot of churches, a lot of ministries have had challenging days, and, and ours is no, no difference. So... I would ask you to to pray for that. Now, I'll talk a little bit more about our ministry as we go through our message. I did want to share one blessing. Uh, Some of you all may have heard of the G3 conference, which is held down in Atlanta, about 6,500 people there for that, where our ministry was blessed to be able to have a booth. Uh, We are currently in about 23 states, and our goal is to put a a full-time ministry leader in every state capital. And it was our prayer to have, while we were there at that uh, conference to have seven folks express interest and three solid candidates to serve in other state capitals. And the Lord blessed, uh, we believe, uh, with that. So uh, we are thankful for that. That was a real, real blessing. Also, to be there for the speakers and the music uh, was great uh, as well. What we're going to do this morning is uh, share from the Word of God, and then kind of as we go, we'll talk a little bit more about our ministry Uh, So it'll be a little bit combined there, but I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles and turn the pages or turn it on or however you do it 
to Titus chapter 3, and uh, we are going to share uh, this morning um, just about how we as believers live in what are some very challenging days. Now, this is a missions conference, and, uh, and so the, there's a lot of different emphasis, perhaps on different countries, uh, different regions, and uh, as I was thinking, preparing for this, I thought, you know, it, it might be easier in some ways for us to be burdened for and to have a love for the folks that are lost in other countries. Now, I think lots of times we, 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 our eyes are closed, maybe our hearts aren't burdened the way they should be, but as I thought about the, the specific outreach of our ministry to political leaders and politicians, they can be kind of hard to love and kind of hard to have a burden for. And we think about what's going on in our country and our nation and how divisive and how challenging these days are with all that we see going on around us. And, and I mean, we could just begin to list all the things that are going on, uh, masks and mask mandates and wear a mask or don't wear a mask, vaccines and vaccine mandates, take the vaccine or don't take the vaccine, all of the LGBT agenda, everything that's going on around us, it's easy for us to get anxious and angry and bitter and discouraged as we're living in this very challenging world. And so this morning, I would like for us to look at Titus chapter 3, and Paul gives us some very specific challenges and encouragements as to how we as believers are to live and how a church is to minister in what would be a very challenging world. And so that's what we want to consider and look at this morning. And again, we'll kind of work in some of what our ministry uh, specifically does uh, with that as well. If you're familiar with this Paul's letter to Titus, Titus was a, a pastor or a church leader. Uh, Paul left him on the island of Crete and he said, I've left you there to take care of business. There's some things you need to do. You need to get some elders set up in the churches. And also, here's some things that you need to teach and encourage the believers there as they are worshiping together and living together in church, and then as they are living out their Christian lives in the community and in what was probably a very challenging culture. Uh, if you read there in Titus, he says some of some of Crete's own people said they're just a bunch of liars and lazy gluttons. I don't know what all that means, but, uh, but uh, I don't know. Paul wasn't very sensitive to that, was he? But he said, this is what they call themselves. And so it was a very challenging environment, a very challenging culture that the believers in Crete, in which they were living, in which they were serving. And so Paul says, Titus, here's some things I want you to do. Here's some things I want you to teach. And as we come to Titus chapter 3, I would encourage you maybe this afternoon, just read this whole letter. It won't take you very long. It's just really encouraging. But in Titus chapter 3, he gives us some great challenges and encouragement as to how we as believers should live in the challenging and difficult times. So let's read this together. Titus chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Remind them, that's the believers, the believers in the churches, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, 
to be ready for every good work, to listen to this description of how we are supposed to live and relate in this day and age. And, and, and does that present how we are living? And listen to this, verse 2. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So Paul says, this is something you need to teach the people in your churches. This is how you need to, your attitude towards your government leaders and your responses and even how you would speak to them and speak about them. Then verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's a pretty good description of our culture today, is it not? Uh, passing our days, that's just kind of like, oh, we're just existing in this, in this culture of hatred and and such. What a description of those who do not know the Lord. But, verse 4, one of my favorite words in the Bible, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What an encouraging passage. But in that passage, Paul is saying, this is how you live. Titus, teach your folks in your church, and your churches, this is how you need to live in a challenging and difficult culture. And I want that to be the encouragement to us this morning. And so as we're going through this, we're just going to break it down very simply. First, we have an exhortation from Paul. This is our duty as believers here on earth. And, and he just lays it out. This is how we are to live and relate. First of all, he says, be submissive. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, ready for every good work. If you follow kind of in the circles of things that I read and things that I listen to, there's a whole lot of discussion going on when it comes to masks and vaccines. And if the government says, this is what you're supposed to do, well, are believers required to do that? And they'll go to Romans chapter 13. You may have heard those discussions. They'll go to Titus here. We're not going to delve into that Chris, I'll encourage them to come to you and let you answer those questions. Very challenging questions, and it is. A lot of discussion, a lot of division amongst church folk. Kind of what we're going to talk about this morning. A lot of division with that. Okay, if the government says you have to take, or your, your workplace says you have to take the vaccine, do you, don't you? We're, we're not going to focus on that. That's a whole other message or series of messages. It's tough. That's a tough issue. What I want us to look at this morning is more just what our heart attitude is uh, towards those leaders who might say, well, this is what you got to do. That's what we want to look at. So first off, he says, be submissive. We're not going to dig into that this morning, but that's our attitude towards leaders, towards our government, to be obedient. That's our actions. 
towards our leaders and towards our government. If you want to make a note to look up these passages, Romans chapter 13, uh, 1 Timothy 2 here in Titus 3, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15, boy, you can dig into those passages and you can talk with your brothers and sisters about it and discuss it. And I tell you, believers are probably going to come up with some different conclusions. But my encouragement to us would be it never should be a divisive thing. Otherwise, we're missing what Paul's point here. But then look at this next word. Be ready for every good work. It says believers ought to be ready for every good work. Filling up shoeboxes. That's a good work that believers ought to be ready for. Collecting supplies and materials for the Women's Resource Center. Ready for every good work. In our ministry, we're contemplating uh, ministering to, reaching out to political leaders. And in doing so, we ought to be thinking every good work. How can we perform good works uh, with them? Let me just share this morning, and this is, we're going to kind of do a parenthesis, kind of a commercial, if you'd want to call it that, about what our ministry, one of our focuses is, and as an encouraging us to pray for our leaders. One of the greatest good works we can do for our leaders is to pray for them. First Timothy chapter 2 says we are to pray for kings and all that are in authority. And Paul gives us four different words for prayer there, prayers, intercessions, supplications, and thanksgivings, praying for our leaders. Let me ask you some questions here. How many of you all can name our congressmen and senators in Washington, D.C.? If you, if you can do it, just raise your hand, okay? A lot can. Uh, now, how many of you can name our governor? Okay, about everybody can. Now, let me get a little more pointed, though, for us as believers. How many of you can name your state senators, the folks that are representing you in Charleston? Okay, can anybody? Are you feeling convicted? <laughs> we'll get there in a second. What about your state delegates? Can you, can you name any of your state delegates? How about your county, Raleigh County commissioners? Now, some of you all do know some of the Raleigh County commissioners. You better be able to name some of them. Uh, your prosecutor, uh, who's, your, who's your mayor? I know. I've, who's Beckley's mayor? I've got it on my sheet here, so I cheated. I looked it up last night. Okay. Yeah, Bob Rapphold, okay. Uh, your circuit court judges, your school board leaders, Raleigh County. This is my point. Just I want to encourage us to think. To be prepared for every good work towards our leaders, I think first and foremost, we to pray for them. And can we pray for our leaders effectively if we don't even know who our leaders are? Now, do any, any of y'all like following West Virginia politics? Anybody? Do you like following? Well, do you follow it? That's the wrong word. Do you like it? We're in the middle of a process right now with our state legislature. Anybody know what that is? It's called redistricting. And if you know what that is, every 10 years they do the census. We gain, well, we don't gain, West Virginia doesn't gain residents. We lose residents. So they have to redistrict. And what they do is they, they draw the maps and they draw the lines saying what, uh, what the, uh, the senators 
and the delegates, and even our folks in D.C., the congressmen and the senators, what group of West Virginians they represent. Okay, so it would be Raleigh County. Who represents? And it's a big process, and it's controversial. Uh, Ten years ago, one party was in charge, and they kind of did their thing, and the other folks fussed about it. Well, that has flipped since then, so now another party's in charge, and the other party's fussing about it. It's just a big deal. What how, how, how do those folks represent? What folks are represented by the senators and the delegates? Now, this is not straight out of Scripture. I can't make a law of this, but this is what I want to encourage you to think about. If we have leaders that represent us in D.C., okay, in Charleston at the Capitol, at the Raleigh County Courthouse, at the City Hall, If we have leaders who represent us, then I believe that is a great tool to say, those are the leaders that we need to represent before God our Father as we would pray for them. So so if you hear in the news, redistricting, it'll be controversial, but I'd like that to kind of kick your thinking, turn it around a little bit to say, now wait a minute, in this redistricting, whoever ends up representing us, you all, here in Raleigh County or me in Kanawha County, if they represent me in government, then I should use that as a reminder to represent them before the Lord as we would pray for them. Your congressional leader, Senator Manchin, uh, Senator Capito, uh, Congressman Carol Miller, those are your leaders in D.C. They represent you in D.C. Let's take it upon ourselves to represent them before the Lord. Of course, Governor Justice. Uh, in your state Senate, if I got it correctly, it's Senator Roberts, Roland Roberts, and Senator David Stover. Now, you might be over in Fayette County, or you might be in another location, take you 20 or 30 minutes, spend a little bit of time online, and you can find out, who represents me? Well, I want to represent them before the Lord. If you want, you can email me, and I'll put one together for you. How to pray for your leaders. Pray for their salvation. Pray for divine wisdom for them. Pray for discernment, for courage, for perseverance. So just some, uh, some ways to pray. Paul encourages the believers, be ready for every good work. All right. It's kind of like in uh, 1 Timothy 2, he says, pray for all men, but then he zeroes in, pray for kings and those that are in authority. Kind of the same idea here. You, 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 you prepare for everyone to do good works for, but it would also be towards these political leaders. Uh, if you go to that Pray 1102 website, there's a, there's a place you can click on the email and send them a little note. Hey, I just want you to know we prayed for you today. You can have a small group here at church, spend some time praying for one of the leaders, drop them a note, and just, hey, the folks at Faith Baptist Church in Prosperity are praying for you. That's, that's a good work that you can do towards our leaders that would make an impact. Be ready for every good work. And then he goes and, and presents us another list. And let's see if this colors or describes our speech and our attitudes towards whether it's our political leaders, towards other folks that we would disagree with strongly. Speak evil of no one. All right, that's, by, that's in verse 2. Speak evil of no one. Do we speak evil of our government leaders? Lots of times. 
I mean, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but I could. I could, I could name a name of a, of a leader today. And, and what's in our heart towards these folks? All right. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. All right. Have, have you had any quarrels with folks over masks, vaccines, just people that, that disagree? You know, something that's helped me is figuring out I don't have to have an opinion about everything. I don't have to make a judgment about anything, but because of our online nature, we can know about everything that's going on in the world around us, every issue, every question, every problem. And I like what a couple of writers have said is God didn't intend for us to try to be omniscient and know everything about everything. We're not designed that way. And so it has helped as I have found myself becoming discouraged about what's going on in our country or about what's going on in the church at large or about some of these questions or some of these issues, I don't have to know everything. I don't have to make a judgment about everything. Avoid quarreling, it says. Be gentle. All right? Does that characterize our speech, our interactions? Show perfect courtesy to all men. Another, another translation says, show all humility toward all men. It's meekness. It's not fighting for our rights. Paul says there in Titus, he says, be careful to devote yourself to good works. If you read through this letter to Titus, you'll see that Paul focuses on two things. He, uh, he says, be careful about your doctrine." your teaching, the gospel, focus on it. Make sure that you've got that right. But then he says, focus on your good works. Some people call Titus the letter of good works. If you want to make some notes, chapter 2, verse 7, show yourself to be a pattern of good works. That's his challenge to Titus. In 2.14, he says, encourage the people to be a special people zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verse 1, we just read, ready for every good work. Chapter 3, verse 8, be careful to maintain good works. Chapter 3, verse 14, learn to maintain good works. So Paul is saying, for believers, your good works are important. Now, here's the statement. In chapter 2, verse 10, I would encourage you to underline it, circle it, highlight it, But Paul challenges the folks in chapter 2, verse 10. He actually encourages everybody in the church. He says, older men, this is how you ought to live. Younger men, this is how you ought to live. Uh, Older women, this is how you ought to live. Younger women, this is how you ought to live. Servants or slaves, in in our uh, language it would be employees, employers. This is how you ought to live, and this is why. So that in everything we may adorn the doctrine of, of God, our Savior. That is a statement that has struck me since I first uh, read through this and was preparing this, that, that Paul is encouraging us that we, by the way that we live, adorn the doctrine. Make our doctrine attractive by how we live. Now, that's a challenge because our doctrine, our preaching of the gospel is offensive to the world, all right? For us to stand and boldly say, Jesus Christ 
is the only way of salvation. And salvation is only by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ. That's an offensive message. I like to tell folks when we think about our ministry at the, uh, at the state house to boldly proclaim Jesus Christ is equally offensive to unsafe folks on both sides of the aisle or both sides of the issue. If you have a liberal social gospel kind of person and you say, Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation and God has absolute moral standards by which we should live and by which we should govern our society, it ticks them off. But then if we have a self-righteous conservative, we might say to them, hey, I am glad that you vote right on life or that you vote right on marriage, but let me tell you, you, like me, are a wretched sinner in need of a Savior. Takes them off. It's an offensive message. It's a stumbling block. It's a rock of offense to boldly proclaim Christ in the gospel to boldly proclaim God's moral laws and moral standards for our lives. But we as believers can make our doctrine attractive. We adorn our doctrine by how we live. Uh, I remember reading of a a community who had an outspoken atheist in the community, Uh, was, was working to get rid of all their Christmas displays and all that kind of stuff, and ended up having an illness and went blind. And the believers in the community reached out to that person. Now, last I had read or heard of that, I don't know that he made a profession of faith in Christ, but he shared what an impact that had that these folks who'd been kind of his enemies because they were eager for good works. And so that's, that's what we want to contemplate and consider. That's Paul's challenge to us. So we are living in challenging and difficult days. We do want to make sure we boldly proclaim the gospel and God's moral standards and moral truth. But Paul says, focus on your your life, your living, your works, your good deeds that would be attractive to those who don't know the Lord. So that's Paul's exhortation. Paul then gives us an, an explanation. How do we do this? How can we do it? Because it's tough. It's tough in this day and age. We think of some of these leaders who say things and do things and believe things and promote things that are so against what we believe in and what we stand for. It is hard not to be bitter, not to be angry, not to be judgmental. But Paul says this. This is how we do it. There's some things to remember. If you remember back in uh, verse 1, Paul wrote to Titus, remind them, remember the first thing we, do, we need to remember, that we need to consider, is remember what we were without Christ. And then you've got this description of, of, uh, of unbelievers, folks who are without Christ, foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to passions and pleasures, passing away days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Folks, we need to remember that is us without Jesus Christ. And it's not because of anything that we did or anything that we earned. It is only by the grace of God. So we need to remember as we see a politician or a leader or someone in our community that says things and does things that just wants to make us so angry as to stop. Now, wait a minute. 
without Jesus Christ. That's me. That's my thinking. That's my heart. And it's only because of God's grace. A couple of passages that remind us, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the natural person, the person without the Spirit, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the person without Christ is not able to understand the truth and understand the gospel. And then in 2 Corinthians, Paul continues the same subject. If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. So the unbeliever, it's, it's not because he won't believe, it's because he can't without a working of God's grace in the heart and the mind to understand the truth of the gospel. And that's all because of the grace of God. So consider what we were without Jesus Christ. Next time we're tempted to be angry and bitter and hateful about unbelievers. Remember, that's, that's me. Accept <laughs> the grace of God. So remember what we were. Secondly, remember what God has done for us and who we are in Him. It says in verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy. He saved us. We've been justified by His grace. That we can become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's what God has done for us. None of my account, none of my earning, not because I was smarter or better looking or anything. It's all of God's work on our behalf. So consider what God has done for us. We need to remember that. That's what Paul's saying. Titus, remind the folks who they were before they came to know Christ. Remind them what God has done for them in Christ. And then thirdly, we will consider others differently. We, we will be reminded to consider others differently if we focus on that. God has shown us mercy and grace. We are to show mercy and grace to others. Boy, and I'm tempted to get angry about, even if it's someone in my family, sometimes it's my daughter Rachel, I'm tempted to get angry. And I've just got to remember, Lord, how many times have I failed you? How patient have you been with me? How much grace and patience have you shown me? God showed us mercy and grace. We need to show mercy and grace to others. We can become so consumed with maybe winning elections or taking America back or changing our culture, we forget God has called us to reach out to those who do not know Him. So as you hear of, of, of all that's going on in the state capitol or in D.C. capitol, I just have to wonder how often is the gospel, the gospel of Christ, proclaimed? There would be three responses to this message this morning. You might be here this morning, and you're right in the middle of verse 3, living your life in... in not going to be the, the worst that could possibly be, but living your life in rebellion to God, just, just uh, living out your days in emptiness and hatefulness and, and those things. You just don't know, you don't know Christ. And if that's true, that's the decision that you would need to make in response to this this morning. Or we could be here this morning and we are seeking to please God by our own works of righteousness. Um, that, that's when we start becoming critical 
of other people. We think, well, I'm the way I am because of me. And then we become critical and judgmental. Well, we need to remember that's only by the grace of God. But then I think for most of us here this morning, we just need to be reminded that we're saved by God's mercy and grace, and we have a message of hope in our lives. I've been thinking about that term, adorning our doctrine. And I think more than anything today, what the world needs to see are believers who are living lives of joy and peace and hope, even in the midst of everything that's going on around us. And I've got to confess, this is convicting for me, because I find myself getting discouraged, sometimes angry, but just discouraged and depressed at what's going on in our country, but even more so for me as I'm reading stuff, what's going on in the churches around us? And I find myself getting discouraged, and I need to have a life of joy and hope and peace. I know we're getting close on our time, but I'd like to close in just reading part of of, uh, Titus chapter 2 that I think gives us that message where we can find the hope and the joy and the peace, and that's chapter 2, verse 11. Paul can close it better than I could, so I just want to read this and remind us this morning that we adorn our doctrine, our teaching, by how we live. So, <laughs> I teach a college and career class at our church, which most of the time is just my daughter. <laughs> and uh, and there are, actually, there are a couple other folks there, and, and uh, I can't remember what the point was, but I asked Rachel in front of everybody, and it was convicting. I said, would, would you characterize me as a joyful person? And her eyes got kind of big, and it's like, uh, not really. <laughs> and I knew that was what the answer would be, because I, I, I know my own heart and my own reaction and responses, but let's, let's take this closing word from Paul as to the joy and the hope and the peace that we can experience in our lives. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Listen to this. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We have the hope of all that God has given us and done for us and will do for us in Christ. So the challenge for me is, as I am uh, living in a challenging and difficult day and a sometimes challenging and difficult ministry, uh, how can I be ready to, to live out the good works that would be adorning our gospel? But more so, how can I live out the joy and the peace of the hope of what I have and, and, and who I am in Christ? And so, I would like to leave that to challenge with you. Now, this is a missions conference. Uh, we haven't really focused on uh, foreign missions, and I know there's been focuses on that, but I think as we think of our mission as a church and as believers, it is to take, to the, good, take the good news of the gospel uh, to our families, to our community, uh, to our state and our nation. And I am convicted 
is I would ask perhaps my own daughter or a neighbor or other folks that I come into contact with, am I a joyful person? Nah, not so much lots of times. But because of the hope we have in the gospel, we can be. And so that will impact our mission and our ministry to others. Let's pray. Father, I do want to thank you so much just for this challenge from Paul leaving Titus, uh, probably a young man in a very challenging environment. And uh, just uh, what a great challenge he gave Titus and he gave to us to be careful of our doctrine, but also to be careful to live out good works and good deeds that would uh, adorn our gospel. And uh, so we thank you for this opportunity to gather this morning and to share these things. I pray in Jesus' name.